All right, everybody, welcome back. Episode 26 of Kente Corner coming to you after a huge win for the Hoyas over Syracuse. Uh, I'm Bobby Bancroft, and you're never going to believe who I was able to pull for a guest this week. Basically, the co-host at Ben Standing. Ben, what's up, man? I'm gonna have if I'm getting co-host status, I'm gonna have to uh, up my contract demands. Yeah, we'll have to see what we can do for that. Um, so Ben, obviously, I don't think we've spoken since the Hoyas lost two more players, but they lost two more players and they have not lost a game yet. So. Myron Gardner, Galen Alexander obviously transferred or announced their intentions to transfer basically, I don't know, 14, 15, 16 hours or so before Georgetown played probably its biggest non-conference game of the season. It did not matter. Georgetown gets the 89-79 win over Jim Beheim and Syracuse. Do we want to jump right into what Beheim talked about post-game? Do we want to talk about Georgetown being shorthanded or do we want to talk about the game? What would you, let's have a guest choice. Well, can, can we just acknowledge that I have already now wrapped up the most pre, prescient, I think that's the right word, most prescient uh, comment of the season by last week in this exact moment? Yeah. Asking you the question if George Mirazan can play? Come on, do I, get, do I get a pat on the back of this? Well, I mean, it was definitely <laughs> a great comment. I think that. If you were making that comment in the idea that, you know, they're going to lose more guys, I don't know if the Georgetown fans are going to be happy that you that you went that way. But, yes, that happened to be a ridiculously on-point comment. And I think my reaction was they're probably not going to need them. Or I, I, honestly, I cannot remember what I said, but I sort of dismissed it. I actually sort of thought they might give more action to – Jaden Robinson or um, Azingi, uh, a freshman walk-on guard. But Murison was the guy, right? Georgetown went with their seven guys you knew, and when they needed an eighth, it was the senior, George Murison. The, the larger point, I mean, I, we, we don't need to get into George Murison's scattering report. The larger <laughs> point is this is where this is where things stand, that they had to turn in a game against Syracuse, to, you know, not necessarily from uh, – you know, this is a this, this may be the worst Syracuse team I've seen in my lifetime. So this is not a matter a matter of like they needed to go you know all deep to, to beat this team. It's just a matter of this is where they are from a rotation standpoint. When especially in a game where Pickett gets in foul trouble, they basically don't have somebody that can easily replace him. Every other position, there's effectively a a sort of a natural replacement except for him and this game they had to go when he got in foul trouble they had to go four guards and then when they went to something else they went to George Marison who literally had not played one second this year he basically played two minutes last year and you know like he, he's just not that guy he's not even getting like he it's not like at least with J, in the JT3 era forget the year where Caprio was actually in the rotation like it felt like the, the, the walk-ons received more minutes I guess there were more blowouts or whatever but, I mean, they literally had to go to a guy that even as a walk-on hadn't played, and this is where they're at. So, uh, but the big – and, you know, but the bigger picture is, of course, they continue to win. You know, I wonder if they get rid of everybody except for, like, McClung, does that, does that guarantee them to win the national title, the way things are going? Yeah, it's, it's definitely trending that way. I think 
And obviously, we've completely bypassed all things Syracuse-related, particularly Bayheim. But to go even further down the way of why Murison had to play, it always seemed really weird to me that in 2019-2020 season, you're bringing in three freshmen, you know, traditional back-to-the-basket type centers. And I think that's one of the issues, too. Like, there's really that's not how the game is played anymore so it never really made sense like you you know you bring in wahab is shown very nicely from uh flint hill like that made a lot of sense but when you bring in two projects on scholarship at a position that's not really in high demand anymore that's sort of i think a bigger thing that to look for going you know with ewing hey this really you can't really recruit with the composition that you were doing right uh, I mean, I think you make a totally fair point. I guess the only the, the the pushback, I guess, would be you're not entering the season thinking like if if they, if all these uh, defections aren't occurring, then there's not really that much of an issue, right? You just basically give them a redshirt season, and you you see where you are next year. We don't know for sure, like is your Taven going to be back? That type of thing. So you know, you could look at it like that. But now that they've hit this point of oh my lord, they they just lost. All these people, including Joshua Blanc, uh, you know, uh, Alexander could at least play some of the front court, things like that. All of a sudden, <laughs> you, you, all your depth becomes, it brings into question, and you just lost, uh, and you don't have anybody. So now this guy becomes a different a different piece. Um, we should put a pin on this because obviously we are sort of burying the lead a little bit, but, but I think it is worth discussing what Georgetown does go going forward with some of these other players. Do they redshirt them versus potentially just have to burn a year just for depth? But in any event, uh, the Bayheim stuff is far more interesting if you want to. I mean, it's your show. You do whatever you want. But uh, the, the, we should probably tackle some of these other things before we get into uh, incredibly uh, minute stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, it's more it's more fun to go that way sometimes. So, yeah. So, 89 89- 79 win for the Hoyas. It was never really in doubt in the second half. As as expected, you know, the starters played big minutes. Matt McClung, 26 points. I think he had 21 in the first half. So Syracuse was actually able to do a pretty good job with him in the second half. But I think between Jagan Mosley and Terrell Allen, what they're doing right now for Georgetown has been just absolutely incredible. You have a senior, you have a grad transfer senior. I don't think that you can expect them to play perfect basketball for another 20-some games. But right now, they're kind of playing perfect basketball. And it's happening at you know the absolute right time. Uh, Syracuse was getting hot with Elijah Hughes. No one could stop him. Mosley did a really good job in the second half. Um, you know, that's kind of the way that, that game went. So we just mentioned a bunch of – or I just mentioned a bunch of players that actually played in the game. Beheim post-game, and whether some of it was kind of self-serving – because his team lost, and then he can talk about how Georgetown's a lot better today than they were a couple weeks ago. He decided to focus most of his of his post game remarks on James Akinjo, who has since left Georgetown and ripped him kind of in a way I've never really seen a coach rip a player that didn't even play in the game. Right? I mean, you've been doing this longer than me. Is that is that accurate to say? I mean, typically, you don't hear a coach rip a player on another team, regardless of anything. Right. Uh, so, so you know, I mean, unless there was something sort of untoward that happened in the game. So now we're talking about he's basically. I mean, you know, for, for those who haven't heard, he basically said that Georgetown it was addition by subtraction, and that based on the games that he's watched, 
Akinjo's effectively his selfish play, his like you know ball dominant play, cost Georgetown two to three games, and that they, look how much better they are without him. And uh, like I said, that that is, I mean, what, whether that's true or not, and it's not necessarily a, it's certainly a harsh comment, and maybe there's some truth to it, and based on how things have unfolded since. You know, you can kind of see where that's a valid point. But to hear another coach go down that route is just amazing. And, uh, you know, Beheim is obviously not going to be a, a beloved figure in these parts, but the uh, I don't give a you-know-what anymore uh, a vibe he's projecting in recent years is really all kinds of fun. And uh, <laughs> it was it was, uh, it was was Saturday, unless I guess you were a part of the James Akinjo fan club. Yeah, so for those of you that didn't see the tweet, and my tweets about Bayheim's comments probably got my most likes and retweets ever. One of one of the one of the quotes is they got rid of a guy that wouldn't pass the ball to anybody and just shot it every time. And that's why they're good now, Bayheim said. They've got seven guys who are as good as anybody's. Two guys weren't really contributing. I assume he's talking about Alexander and Gardner. And another guy was just throwing the ball up all the time. Again, coming back to Akinjo. And Akinjo's stats were pretty bad. He was shooting under 30% from three. He was shooting under 40% overall. Um, his assist numbers were still pretty good, even though, you know, Beheim says he wasn't passing, which he obviously was. And he was, let's not forget, he was the Big East freshman of the year last year. I don't think anyone thinks, you know, even on the Georgetown side, for people that are a little bit hurt that he left or salty, I don't think anyone ever considered him to be not good at basketball. It was just clear from watching that, it wasn't really working. He wasn't doing what Ewing wanted. And him and McClung weren't playing very well off of each other, which is a little sad in that two really talented players, you would have figured that they, they could have they could have they could have figured it out. Yeah, I mean this is one of those things about basketball that I think a lot of fans struggle with often is that there's this notion of just get five players who play and throw them together and things will work themselves out. I'm not, this is not about Patrick Ewing. This is just about sort of understanding that how basketball can work. And, and, uh, you know, look, I don't think I would venture to guess that whatever preseason conversations you and I had on the podcast or even otherwise, I doubt too many of them involved. Boy, can McClung and Akinjo play together? I think defensively we've discussed that because they're both smallish guards and McClung in particular struggles defensively and that becomes, right. you know, maybe a, an overall liability, but I don't think we were going, well, this is a complete, I mean, I've, I've, I've viewed this in other, uh, in other capacities. Like, I mean, just the, you know, like with the wizards, a team I cover where John wall, a ball dominant point guard, where like you talk about, could he play with a LeBron James or James Harden guys who play ball dominant? And I always would say, no, and blah, blah, blah. I didn't think of it in these terms here. Now it seems pretty clear that based on the first three games that, 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 that's maybe something we should have considered more considering how the team has performed, but also how McClung has performed. It's not that he's scoring at a high clip. It's that this is the most consistent we've seen him play. I would argue maybe early in his freshman season, he was some of that, but like he, he played at a, at a much more impressive level. We can get into why that's the case even beyond the Kinjo. But, uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes it is a weird addition by subtraction when the ball is moving a lot more, uh, which it feels like it's the case right now. Even though McClung puts up shots, that you know, the, you know that that um, Allen is the point guard. He's more of a traditional pass-first point guard. McClung is the guy when you're ready to when you're setting up a play to score, get him the ball. 
and that seems like right now, combined with everything else that's happening, it's, it's working out. So it's not that Akinjo's a bad player. It's just that on this team and this spot and whatever else was happening, it clearly wasn't working out, and that is most evident by the fact of how well they've played since he left. Yeah, I think the closest I got to talking about that subject, and I think I said it in a way that sort of bothered people, was my solution was to put McClung on the second unit, not because he's not good enough to start, but I thought if you did that, then you would you would limit the amount of the amount of minutes that Kinjo and McClung were on the court at the same time, particularly when Ewing was going to that second team. It just seemed like, wow, now that they're at the second team, who's going to do what? Like, how 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 are they going to score? So, you know, that was sort of that was sort of my solution to trying to separate them, but you know, obviously not totally separate them. Like, you know, now that one of them's gone, um, I don't know if you talked if we talked about this offline or not, but I think that. With Gardner and Alexander obviously leaving, you you know you, you lose four of your top eleven guys that Ewing was going with. There's never a good time to lose four of your top eleven, but I do think that Georgetown and obviously Syracuse is part of it because they're not a very good version of Syracuse. If you were ever going to have it happen where it's like you know it's 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 us against the world, we have to get up for one game. Capital One Arena was actually packed. It felt like a legitimate experience in there. To have it happen before Syracuse probably wasn't the worst thing because everybody was going to be, ju- you know, juiced up, no pun intended, um, for that game no matter what. Like I said, the players, the fans, everything. You could just feel the energy in the arena for the first time probably in two years, honestly, because Syracuse didn't come to town last last year. So now, looking ahead, they play your alma mater, UMBC. The big thing is going to be, okay, we saw the way Georgetown can win with only six players, seven players, maybe eight if you use Mirasan. Can they do it when no one's looking? And tomorrow night against UMBC, and if I post this tonight, that'll be at, but it may, may, maybe I'll post it in the morning, so it'll, it'll be tonight. When they play UMBC, that's going to be a situation where can you do it when no one's looking? There's going to be like 2,500 people there. You know, Georgetown, before they lost all these players, was kind of playing to the level. You know, we're going to play to the level of Mount St. Mary's. We're going to play to the level of Duke. It doesn't matter who it is. We're going to play to your level. Now the big thing for them is can they do, you know can you do it against a team like UMBC right? Uh, yeah, I mean I think the, I mean part of the thing we definitely talked about before is you know the inconsistency you know and we've seen that this year. I mean their best games have effect, effectively been against the better opponents. I mean obviously the you know Penn State was a bad game and Penn State's proven to be good, but by and large, uh, so they they've stepped up against the better opponents. Uh, and you know, for whatever the reason, that you know, last year and or in the Ewing era, that's been sort of a problem. I, I guess one thing that's sort of weird is that, you know, while obviously the Alexander and Gardner uh, losses are big from simply, to me, they're bigger from the standpoint of what does this mean for the program at large? You've now lost four people, and you know, what else is coming, and what does this mean for Georgetown's reputation, things like that. But like from a basketball standpoint. I, I, you know, I almost didn't. I mean, again, I think the issue is they literally now have no more uh, depth. They can't afford, a, as evidenced by the Marathon playing, you can't have guys get in foul trouble. You can't have guys get sprained an ankle, all that stuff. 
But, like, from a straight-up basketball standpoint, like, I don't think losing Alexander and Gardner was that big of a deal. If it had been reversed, if those guys went first and then they lost to Kinjo and LeBlanc, I, 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 that, that would have felt much worse because you know you're losing significant production. Uh, so the way that it went the other way, not not to echo Bayheim, but to some degree, you know, whatever. I mean, like, you're losing – you can't afford to lose bodies at this point, but at the same time, you know, the, their situation didn't go any worse, I don't think. You know, I got I, you know, if, if their odds of like making a tournament went down, it only went down for depth, not because those guys are proven to be um, proven to be all that. But yeah, we'll see how they do against a uh, against a better opponent or against a, 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 a lower a lower viewed opponent. But uh, uh, by the way, like to the point of the Syracuse game, like one thing you and I got you and I always discuss, which is fun for us, probably not for other people, but is. Uh, <laughs> like sort of the the tournament resume, and we have harped. I think we've been the leaders for the previous two years of hey Georgetown, you want to play a good schedule because of non conference. Because if you don't, stop talking to me about making the tournament. You're really not trying if you're not playing enough of these teams. Then this year they did. This year they jacked it up, and you're like, oh no, what? terrible timing because now all of a sudden you just lost these players, and yet they it's not that they won three in a row. They won three in a row against, you know, Oklahoma State, a, a power conference school that was undefeated, and SMU team that was undefeated. And while this is not a good Syracuse team, you know, it's still Syracuse. It's an ACC team, which sounds weird to say still. Really and weird. Syracuse will, <laughs> Syracuse will have a, still have a very good, you know, uh, Ken Palmy type numbers just based on the, who they'll play over the course of a year. So to, to get, I mean, those three wins, it's not just that they won three in a row. They may have saved the season with those games because now, from a non-conference perspective, if they do get by the UMBCs these last three games in American, they're really set up nicely as long as they go kind of 500 in the Big East to, to probably make tournament. Oh, oh yeah, no, I mean, okay, so right now they're seven and three. Their losses are to Penn State, Duke, and UNC Greensboro, all top 100 teams. Penn State and Duke right now are top 25 teams. They've got UMBC, Stanford, and American, and we can look ahead since we're not actually on the team. So if they do what they're supposed to do at home, and if they enter Big East play at ten and three, I think that nine and nine, even eight and ten might put them in the spot. Basically, if they're ten and three and they go eight and ten in the Big East, that would have them at eighteen and thirteen, which I think is right around what the last kind of at large records are. And based on what Georgetown did, you know, they've played Penn State, Texas, Duke, Oklahoma State, SMU, Syracuse. That's pretty good. Um, the the net ratings came out for the first time today. Georgetown's 38. They're actually one point ahead of the defending national champions, Virginia. So all of their numbers are coming out pretty good right now. Um, and yeah, it it is it is awfully awfully ironic that you know two years ago when they didn't play anybody, they could have handled this kind of uh, you know defection. Um, of course, that that's not a reason to not schedule. Thinking, well, we, we're going to schedule this way because what happens if we lose, you know, twenty five percent of our of of our rotation? But uh, yeah, they absolutely. When they were going into Oklahoma State after Akinjo and LeBlanc decided to leave, they were four and three. And you looked at their next three games. I remember I did, and you're like, wow, what if you lose the next three? Which was, you know, Ken Palm predicted them to lose. I think two of the three. You're thinking, well, so now you're five and five, maybe four and six. That's a huge problem. 
and they they weathered that storm. But tomorrow night against UMBC, hey, what can you do with a shorthanded roster in a game that you're expected to win? And that's that's going to be that's going to be the the uh, the uh, big thing. I don't know if you saw it actually while you were at Redskins Park all day. Um, Ava tweeted out a story saying that the charges or the police investigation against Gardner and Alexander has been closed. And then um, Alexander actually retweeted her with just a bunch of dot, dot, dots. And um, Alexander is actually, Alexander is filing a suit, I think, against, um, I have to pull it up here. But so I think you said, like, what's going to come next? It sounds like for this actual, this incident, it sounds like it's over. So wait, but he's filing a, a suit against somebody else? Uh, he tweeted that, or it was in the Washington Post story that in a public record search uh, on Monday, Alexander filed a complaint of false allegations on Friday in D.C. Superior Court. Alexander is requesting a restraining order against one of his com- complainants, and a hearing is scheduled for Thursday. Okay, so, so so this is interesting, and yes, I have not read this, and, and so I appreciate you filling me in. Uh, let, let, let's get into some of what happened the other day. So, you know, Akinjo, we still have not heard a, a peep from, right, I don't believe. No. Um, LeBlanc, I believe, similar. I don't think we've heard anything out of him. Um, no. And maybe Gardner's attorney put out a statement to the Post, but I, I think beyond that we haven't heard anything. Alexander, right. though, has been very vocal on Twitter going so far as to he put out a, a lengthy uh, statement of his own mm-hmm. on Twitter. And then he even went so far as to go after by, by name, I believe the person who was accusing, who, who was, who was making the accusations against these players right. and so on. But, but in his lengthy statement, he, he, and he, feel free to tell me if I'm wrong. Cause I'm going off of memory. He basically said that he felt that he was like being on some level, like, uh, persecuted almost by the like the school didn't the school didn't back him up that the media was that was it was after him or, or whatever it may be and I, I struggling I mean look I, I'm not struggling to understand the pain he must be going through if he feels he didn't do anything wrong that all this is happening but at the same time the criticism that was happening initially when the first charges came out when we learned what was going on with Akinjo and or not Akinjo but with LeBlanc. And, and so on was, wait, why were these guys still playing? Well, why, why did Georgetown? Okay, it's fine. You don't Georgetown the school. You don't think that these guys did something that you know that, that based on what you know, you think they should still play? Okay, but the criticism was, wait, these guys are being accused of things. You should be. Why are they playing? That the, but that that the school continued to essentially back the players, those who stayed, by letting them play. Seems to me the opposite of whatever he was inferring that the school was, didn't have their back, that, that the school was hanging them out to dry or he, well, I think, he up. I think that there is a differentiation between the basketball program and the university. Right. I think that's because he starts out. I actually, I pulled it up. He, he starts out saying he wants to thank Ewing and the staff for letting me go to Georgetown and, you know, blah, 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 all that stuff. And then eventually gets down to the university um, he says right here, the university has allowed me to become a target and subjected to unfair treatment with little or no support. 
And I know we talked about it on Saturday morning. There was that letter that the university, there was like 68 professors or faculty members had sort of come out with some sort of vague statement saying all these, I, I didn't really read it. Um, so I think, I think it was more of that. I think it's, I think that the program supported him, but it sounds like he doesn't feel that the university was supporting him. If that makes sense. I mean, I guess, and look again, I don't know, I don't know what kind of internal pressures are going on. Maybe he's walking across campus and he's getting heckled by people for all this, or I don't you know, who knows what. Right. All I know is that all that most people would know is that he's still playing. And that's about as much of a, if the university at large said, hey, you're not playing these guys, then, you know, no matter what, what much power Patrick Ewing has, if the, if the school itself, the, the president of the school or whomever, says, hey, these guys can't play, then these guys won't play. So they were playing. So that's the only part I'm sort of been sort of baffled by. So then when you tell me that the charges were dropped, again, it sort of goes to, uh, you, you know, what, what's going on here? Oh, we got some sirens coming up. Hold on. Apologies for the masses. Oh, please tell um, me you're being pulled over for speeding. Please. <laughs> no, not me. I'm, 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 a, good, I'm a good driver. Um, All right. But, uh, yeah, okay, in any event, I, I just thought that, I mean, the way he chose to, uh, again, look, if, if you've been falsely accused of something and you're mad about it, totally get the frustration and the anger and all that. But he didn't just get angry. He left the program. And, you know, if, if you're telling me the charges are being dropped and, you, you know, he, and he was already playing anyway, then presumably he would still be playing. So the question is, what, what I mean, it doesn't even, I mean, we're not going to get an answer, but, like, what what ultimately was he so mad about that nothing was happening? It was, I, again, I'd be I would have gotten there. They had suspended him three games, and he's like, "What for? What? I didn't do anything." If that's what he thinks, well, that I would get. But I think you might have just said it a couple minutes ago when you said, "I don't know what he's going through." Maybe he's walking across campus, and it's like, "Oh, there's that guy that did that," you know, or may, maybe he's sure. going into a class. And it's like he can't, he feels uncomfortable because all this stuff is out there because he's part of the nationally visible basketball program. So everyone knows who he is more than other people. And it's, he's just getting heat that he feels like he didn't do it. And now that this case was closed by DC police, um, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I can't believe if you had told me in the summer when we're like, hey, we're going to do this Georgetown basketball podcast, I would have never thought that we'd spend one second. I knew we would talk non basketball. I didn't think it would be anything like this. Yeah, no. I mean, obviously, you can't predict. Uh, you can't predict this. And you know, look. I mean, I, I, uh, I don't know what your like worst nightmare kind of situation is, but I'm always the guy who fears the getting accused of something, you know, of a crime you didn't commit type of person. I just think that would be terrible, and and I feel bad for him if, in fact, he's completely innocent and this is not whatever and. And so on. I, I, I get, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm just wrong. I just, I just typically, if we were viewing this from a school from 3,000 miles away, and you told me that the players never received suspension, then I would assume that that meant that the university at large was backing the, the player because otherwise the player gets suspended. That's an indication of something is happening. And they, I mean, but in any event, uh, it doesn't really matter. I guess so much if he's gone, and uh, you know, look. I mean, hopefully for their, for his sake. It, you know he gets peace with this, and you know they can move. He can move on, and and same with the other uh, with the other players. I don't know where they'll end up. I know Akinjo won't end up at Syracuse. 
But beyond that, uh, Kinjo will not uh, end up at Syracuse. No. <laughs> um, um, I, I, I think. Guess, uh, I think um, for Gardner transferring after these nine games, I mean, you know, the NCA has been so inconsistent and random at granting people an extra year for certain things. We've seen it work in Georgetown's favor. We've seen it, I think, not work in Georgetown's favor, particularly when they got Josh Smith and he had played two full seasons at UCLA and part of a third season. And then somehow at Georgetown, he got two full seasons. Um, at least that he was allowed to play. I think one season at Georgetown, he was suspended academically. But for, for Gardner, he played eight games at Georgetown he might be able to write this off based on what the NCA does. He might get four years somewhere. You have no idea. For Alexander, it's trickier because he played nine games at LSU. Then he went to a JUCO. Then he's at Georgetown. He plays nine games. Like He might only have one year left. So for him to transfer, I thought was really telling, wow, like this is bad. For him, you know, for him, like whatever he's feeling or whatever, you know, what 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 whatever's going on, because he might only ha- he might, he's probably not going to get two more years out of this. Whereas if he stays at Georgetown, he gets this whole year, and then all of next year, or maybe if he graduated, he could grad transfer somewhere. But he's probably his college career is probably not going to be as long as he would have thought. Um. So moving on, Mac McClung was. Even though Georgetown only played one game last week, he was able to successfully defend his title as Big East Player of the Week. That's two weeks in a row. Ben, this is a trivia question. Who was the last Georgetown player to be the Big East Player of the Week? Just one time, who was the last player to be Big East Player of the Week? Yeah, before McClung back-to-back. like The last time any player won Big East Player of the Week. Oh man, I mean, this could be, uh, it could have been a, a randomly impressive uh, LJ Peak week. Uh, there's DSR, then of course, just recently you got Govan and, and Derrickson. Uh, based on the fact that you're asking me that, I, I, I'll go Derrickson. I feel like he had some, uh, some explosive games. I'll go Derrickson. See, I like that you talked yourself out. Your first name was was the right one. So I like that you talked yourself out of it. Dagger, yeah. So surprise. So I actually went through and I, I I went to the Big East site and I printed out the last couple of years that are available. And so last year we had you know Akinjo LeBlanc and McClung all got Freshman of the Week. Govan never got a Player of the Week. He was on the weekly honor roll like every week, like he was just on it. He never got Player of the Week. And then you go back to two years ago, you had Blair and Pickett got a Freshman of the Week. No one got it. No Derrickson. No Jesse. But then you go back to JT3's last season, and there was LJP got it in January, and Pryor got one in November. Man, doesn't that seem like like 20 years ago? At least. <laughs> and then going back even further, the year before that, nobody got it. And then the year before that was the 14-15 season when Georgetown last made the NCAA tournament. DSR got it twice. And in that year, Isaac Copeland was the Big East freshman of the week three times, including a back-to-back performance, which that seems like 50 years ago. Well, yeah, the game winner against Butler, right? When, when yeah. it looked like he was going to be uh, the, the next so-and-so. Yeah. Well, he was, you know, I, th- I think he's their last five-star. 
And I know people were comparing him to Otto, which isn't really fair because Otto is really, really good. But yeah, just going back down a minute. So I I definitely figured that Jesse had won one at least once in the last two years because his offensive numbers under Ewing were just ridiculous. But never got it. Um, so we're running out of time here. Is there anything you think we need to get to before we say bye to all the good people? Oh, the Georgetown men soccer team, national champions. I don't know if you did you did you catch one minute? Did you see a highlight of the penalty shootout? Are you aware that this happened? I, I'm aware. I saw Twitter show me the final uh, save, the the or I guess the only save of the shootout that. Uh, that led to the win. So yeah, props to that. That's pretty cool. Was it the third title of any kind in, in, in uh, Georgetown sports uh, history, I think. Uh, so all that's pretty cool. Uh, pro- props to them um, for, for sure. Um, it's, it's crazy too, uh, because if you're ever, if you have a certain age, there was a time where I was a kid where like, I want to say UVA under Bruce arena won like eight in a row or something before he moved on to bigger and better things. So to do right. it against UVA is kind of like, they, you know, it, they didn't just beat like, I don't know, whatever, like Creighton or, you know, whoever, like they beat like Virginia. Yeah. 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 For, uh, for, for sure. No, uh, kudos, kudos to them. Um, I did have, I guess, one other thought on the basketball side. If, uh, if I, got, yeah, if I got a couple more seconds here. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're focusing on the on the on the here and now with regards to this basketball team. Do they have enough pieces to, oh, God. to succeed? Well, what? Well, you're going to talk about there's no one on the team for next year. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. But like the players ultimately, and the players ultimately come and go. What sustains the program over time is effectively the head coach and the and the pieces that make up the program overall, and. uh uh, oh, well, I got one other thing I just thought about we should say. But anyway, the, these three, I mean, going back to the moment that this all happened, uh, one thing I said was we're going to learn a lot about Patrick Ewing, the coach, now because there's no more, well, he's still figuring it out. There's no more. He's got enough, you know, he's just got to figure out the right players. <clears throat> this is about strategy. This is about motivation. He's only got a handful of guys to play with. How does he work this out? They just won three games in a row that no way anybody would have predicted they would win three in a row, let alone maybe even win two. And and basically all the games were in somewhat convincing fashion. It doesn't mean that they're going to make the NCAA tournament because there's a lot of factors that go into that. It doesn't mean they'll have, you know, great postseason success. It means I think that probably at least if you just beyond the people who are just always going to believe that Patrick Ewing could succeed because he's Patrick Ewing – I think for the first time from a coaching perspective, you could look at it and say, hey, you know what, maybe Patrick Ewing actually has shown, has shown the coaching chop to make you think that he could possibly sustain something. Again, there is a lot to be said for the fact that all these players have gotten, you know, for one, whatever the reason, all these players are now gone, and there are questions about next year, which we'll talk, I'm sure we'll talk about some other, pod, some other podcasts, but uh, – but but I, I think you can at least feel better about hey Patrick Ewing actually has the legitimate coaching chops because he got he had no choice but to figure out some stuff and did it with flying colors there. Yeah, and if you want to talk about his coaching chops, 
he's really close, even though they're one and two. And this is something I talked to Jagan about last week. He's Patrick Ewing is really close to being three and zero against Syracuse, and his the offense he wants to run against his own works really well. So I think that uh, I, I think that there's really not a lot of question about if he can coach. But yeah, it's going to be coaching a little a little bit different, but. Yeah, I don't think uh, I, I think the people that were sort of questioning his coaching just sort of didn't uh, just didn't want to maybe be part of the part of the program. You uh, said you had one more well, thing. If there's one more thing you want to get in on, you got to do it now, man. Just uh, our uh, rest in peace, Mary Fenlon passed away. Was that today, right? Or oh yeah, yeah, that? yeah. And they just oh. put her in the Hall of Fame, the the, the Georgetown Hall of Fame. Um, real quick, Mary Fenlon story. I went to. Um, a good family friend of mine had Georgetown season tickets when I was all through like elementary school and high school. We went all the time. And when I was in ninth and 10th grade, um, Iverson's or yeah, ninth and 10th or 10th and 11th, whatever Iverson's uh, freshman and sophomore years, we went to the, the, the end of the year banquet. And I was the first time I went there, I was like, Oh, you know, getting pictures with everyone and blah, blah, blah. And I try to get a picture with her. And she said that she didn't do that kind of thing. So actually, I took a picture of her, but it's not me and her. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, obviously, I, I never met the lady, but you know, when we talk about the, all the things that make a program strong, that includes not just the coaching, not just the players, but the support staff and her, the hiring of her to to be the sort of the the, the overseer of the players in terms of their education, who they are as people. That that is such an important piece of the JT two legacy and you know something to consider here with the current situation and you know, do, you know hey making sure the players have all the enough pieces in place then we're gonna we're gonna have to say bye to the people right now adios people goodbye people <laughs>